So there, the, the only negative was it didn't really mess my bike up. I was, I've been wanting a new bike for a while. And then Josh got a new bike and I still got my bike. And uh, that was my plan. I'm like, I could get a new bike if I did this. And the only thing I did was get a hospital visit. So, um, but I do want to, I do want to make mention of the fact that uh, this, this, a lot of the, a lot of the things sometimes that happen around here goes unnoticed because you don't necessarily know who's doing what or how they're doing or whatever the case is. And uh, Pastor Rick really is a, um, he's an instant in-season, out-of-season person. He's, he's always doing things, always trying to make this place better and what we do here better. And, and um, it's kind of like he has kind of that role that like a children's pastor has. You do a lot of stuff, but nobody knows what you're doing um, unless you're a parent of a little child or not for him, but f- fit that in for him. So I actually have some drugs in me now. I, I'm, I can tell, but, uh, <laughs> but isn't it good? Isn't we all good today? Isn't that nice? So I do want to turn this over to uh, Pastor Rick, and, um, and I, I got to hear this first service, and it's something very important for us to hear. Oh, I did want to also make mention, we have a newlywed couple in the building this morning. I had the opportunity to marry them this week, and uh, so Dave and Chris, if you don't mind standing, we want to look at you guys. <clears throat> So uh, it is much easier to do pre-married counseling when one of them's been married over 40 years and the other one's been married almost had uh, been married almost 30 years, and uh, and their their spouses about to say wives, but uh, their spouses are no longer with us. Um, it is so much easier to do pre-married counseling. But if some of you younger couples want to come and help them, give us some advice. Uh, they're at that. They're at the. They've been married a week, less than a week now. So, so we want to help them along the way. So, without anything else, uh, let's welcome Pastor Rick. Thanks, Pastor. It is uh, always an honor to serve you, to be here. For those who don't know the how I got to where I'm at. Uh, spent 38 years in the Army, finally decided it's time for the get the uh, young kids play, so step it out, but uh, was here the first time back in 2012. In fact, our first Sunday, Didi and my first Sunday here happened to be pastor, and Linda's first Sunday as the pastor's here, and so off and on through the last 11 years, the Army brought me back and forth, and uh, finally, it was time to retire, and I am blessed to be here and to serve you all at this time, and uh, those times when pastor lets me know, hey, by the way, I don't know what you got, but you need something for tomorrow, it's, it's always fun. There is something I want to remind you all about, and uh, how many bike riders we got in here? Josh, Liz, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel's not here, <laughs> and Scott's been removed from the, from the bike ride. This week... Uh, Daniel, Liz, and Josh, and what's going to be pastor too, uh, are going to do their 100-mile bike ride. Uh, Liz is not going to do as far, she says. We'll see if ego gets her. <laughs> but they're going to ride 100 miles, and there is a QR code uh, out there in the lobby someplace. I, I'm not exactly sure, but to be able to donate and to uh, sponsor them on this ride it goes for Speed the Light, uh, which is some of God's uh, ministry that provides wills and other things for missionaries. And so they're going to do that, so we want to make sure that we keep them in prayer. In fact, we'll take a moment and let's uh, lift Josh and Liz and Daniel up in prayer real quick before we get into the sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would take and touch these who are doing the ride this week. Specifically, Daniel and Josh and Liz, who are from here, who are going to take and step out and ride this 100 miles, Heavenly Father. Strengthen them, protect them, let them be well hydrated, Heavenly Father, and nourished as they go. Let your Holy Spirit just raise them up when they're feeling weak and tired and drive them forward. And we also ask that you touch Pastor as he heals, Heavenly Father. Lord, let there be miraculous healing to him. Remove the pain 
and allow him to take and have the right focus he needs for this body. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't sponsored any of the writers and you want to, make sure you look for that uh, frame with the QR codes. And uh, if you're unsure, get with Josh or Liz and they will point it out to you and get you taken care of. We're going to take a look at Peter walking on the water today. Over the last several weeks, off and on, Pastor has been talking about uh, being involved in the church or being involved in ministry, taking in and uh, helping out, either from pulling weeds or to children's ministry, youth ministry, royal rangers, ushers, greeters. You know, the scripture says it's better to be a doorman in the house of the Lord. So whatever... It is, we can use your help, and Pastor's been talking about this, and not just about inside these walls of the church, but we're talking about outreach, reaching your neighborhood, reaching your pe- the people at work or school, whatever it might be, to be engaged, because the reality of our faith is that it's an active faith. Being, follow- being a follower of Christ is not a passive faith. It's not a a one that you just get saved and you sit back and do nothing. We see throughout Scripture, it says to go and do. And it's not about doing good works to be saved because that's not the point. It's about taking and doing, involved in ministry, involved in taking and making disciples. We don't have to look very far, but to Matthew 28 and the Great Commission that says go into all the world. Not get people saved, but to make disciples. In other words, engaging in people in a long-term relationship to walk them through the Christian faith. So if you have just been sitting back, you got saved sitting back, not getting engaged in ministry, then you're probably not following Scripture correctly. The question I have for you today, are you listening to God? Are you listening to what He's telling you to do? Or have you put the mufflers on? Or maybe denying what he's asking you to do? Matthew chapter 14 is one of action. One about Peter being action in what he's doing. It's a story of Peter and Jesus walking on the water. And the way we're going to look at it today for you possibly will be in a way that you've never looked at it before. You never considered this part of the story or how it goes. And when we're looking at the passage, we must first consider the whole context of the passage because it gives us the full picture of what's going on. It gives us the why that the disciples were in the boat. They don't have a big part of what I want to talk about and the major point of this passage, but it does give us context. And when you're looking at scripture, when you're reading through scripture, context is very important. For if you take and just stay on one verse, you may not get the full context and the full direction of God. It's kind of like that guy who took and he had the habit of each morning opening his Bible, closing his eyes and dropping his finger down on the verse and doing on that day what that verse said. And he lived his life that way. So one day he woke up, he got out his Bible, opened it, closed his eyes, plopped his finger down, and it said, Lazarus went and hung himself. (laughs) And he says, that can't be right. So he closes the Bible and reopens it and does the point and shoot method again, and it says, go out and do likewise. (laughs) Not a wise way to live your walk with Christ, is it? And so we want to be make sure that we're having the full counsel of God this morning in the full context of what he's talking to us about. And so we start that with verse 22. It says, immediately after Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there, there alone. There's a point to these these verses here, and the point that is being made is Jesus found it important that he needed quiet time with God. And a sermon for another time, but to make a small point today is we are no better, obviously, than Christ. 
What makes us think we can get away with not having our quiet time? If Jesus felt it was important for him to have the quiet time he needed, then we should be having our quiet time. But this gives us the why. He sends the disciples on ahead. He sends the people away and he goes get some quiet time. Now I have to wonder, did the disciples wonder how is he going to catch up to us? We took the one boat. How is he going to take up to us? Is he going to rent a boat? Is he, is he just going to walk around and we're going to see him in a few days? What's he going to do? But they obeyed him and got on the boat. And verse 24 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. So they're out there. These, some of these were fishermen. They were used to waves and storms and whatnot, but they're fighting against it. You know, life is that way for us, though, right? Life is going to toss us about. It may be people, it may be circumstances, it may be a long list of things. The intent of Satan is to take and separate you from God. And he's going to toss things in your way. The problem is sometimes we bring our own problems to our, because of our own choices. But life is troubling. It's challenging. It will toss us around. Oftentimes Satan doesn't want us to necessarily lose our salvation, but he wants us to be mediocre because if we are not taking and on fire, moving out for God, and we're just mediocre, then we're not going to get anywhere. In fact, really, we're going in reverse if we're mediocre. But he wants to destroy us physically, spiritual, spiritually. He wants to try to separate us from God, to discourage us. And we see that with the disciples here as the illustration of the boat being tossed around. They were in the middle. They shouldn't be afraid. They shouldn't be concerned because they got some experts with them, but they are. And the circumstances are pretty rough, and they're fighting against it. Verse 25, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. I kind of find this a little bit ironic. That they do not recognize who Jesus is. This is a man they have spent days, hours, living with, being around. They should be able to recognize the figure of who he is. They've seen the miracles. This is not out of his scope of being able to do. And yet here they don't recognize him. They are so immense in the circumstances of being tossed about that they can't even see who Christ is. And they've been around him. They should be easily able to focus and recognize his figure. They spent time. You spend time with somebody, you get to know them well enough that in the dark you can recognize them just by the shape. When I was an army chaplain, I made a point to make sure I was out of my office. Of course, all the fun games were outside anyway. But I liked hanging around my soldiers and being around them and getting to know them so they could trust me. And I'd go walk around at night and they'd, they'd be able to recognize me because I spent so much time with them. It wasn't, is that you, chaplain? It was, hey, chaplain. It was the recognize, I know who you are. You've been around us long enough. I can tell you who you are. These disciples should have been able to. They were so immersed in their circumstances and in the situation that they couldn't even see that it was Jesus that was there. We should be spending time enough with God that in the midst of our troubles, in the hardest times of our lives, we recognize his voice. We know who he is. And when he speaks to us, we can just say, hey, God, instead of saying, God, is that you? The challenge is that we don't spend enough time in our word. We don't spend enough time in prayer. We don't spend enough time getting to know God well enough that oftentimes what we say is, is that you, God? Was that your voice, God? We should be engaged in our relationship 
with Christ that we don't do like the disciples who, go, who are in fear of what's going on and they go, it's a ghost. We should not be so overwhelmed that we don't recognize what God's doing in our life and what he's doing in that moment. Jesus responds, verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Now, I really like it how another translation says it. Because pastor talks about this all the time. Jesus was very sarcastic to those he needed to be sarcastic with, right? And he knew the disciples. They've been hanging out. And I like how this other translation says, it says, Jesus said, calm down, it's me. Chill out. I think that's possibly more than how it came across. He wanted them to understand there wasn't reason to be afraid. I can almost see him shaking his head and maybe doing a face bomb. Like, I've been with these guys so much time and they can't recognize it's me. He says, Take courage. It's me. It's all right, guys. Chill out. It's not a ghost. It's just me. See what God is doing. You got to love Peter. If you take and look at Peter any, any time in Scripture, he is a man that likes to speak first, put his foot in his mouth, and then figure things out. So here Peter being Peter. Verse 28, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. He didn't think about the fact that it's water and I shouldn't be able to walk on it. He just said, hey, if it's you, then tell me to come. Peter had enough courage for all of them. Like I said, Peter was known to take and say some things and then put some actions behind it and oftentimes it wasn't always the right thing but he was at least willing to move out. Some of us may have done the similar things. We said, hey God, whatever you want. Send me wherever you want me to go. God, I'm here, tell me to come. The problem is, is oftentimes we don't think about what he might, that he might just answer us in the affirmative. He may just take and say, okay, come on, let's go. We say it in the moment, we say it in, in an emotional moment, we say it, maybe we actually believe it, but we're thinking he's going to put us into a place that's comfortable for us. Not always does he put us in a comfortable place? When he responds in the affirmative is when we often stumble, when we often have our challenges. But Peter didn't, didn't stumble here. Jesus said in verse 29, he said, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Most of us would not and do not act like Peter. But Peter, when Jesus said, come on out, the water's fine, he gets off the boat. I got to see Peter take and shrug a little bit. Okay, let's go. I can see him taking, sliding over the side of the boat and testing the waters. Pun intended. This stuff's going to be firm because I'm a fisherman. I'm used to this stuff being liquid and not solid enough for me to walk on. So he probably tested the water a little bit and then he moved out. Do you have the attitude of Peter? Do you have the attitude that when Jesus says come, that you slide over the side of the boat and you move out on the water, walking on the water? Most of us, I would say not. Most of us, when Jesus says come, we start asking questions. We often say, here I am, send me. And when God says go, we begin to negotiate with him. 
God says, go work in the nursery. And we go, mmm, dirty diapers. I don't think I can do that one, God. He says, how about the youth? Ooh, teens. Oh, they're a little bit crazy. I don't know how I can handle them, God. Or maybe we question God. Do we really hear his voice? You know, those winds and waves and all that storm noise. Did I really hear what God said? Maybe I'll sit here a bit and just make sure that I heard it. Maybe I just did not hear it correctly. It was a little loud out there, you know. When we say, God, use me, we must be prepared to move out when he says, come. Being in the army, those who have been around the military, you know when your leadership says, come, your response is moving. Rarely do you ever take and say, oh, just a minute. They have the authority to say, I want you here now, and your response is just moving. When God tells us to go, our response should be moving on our way and heading in the direction that he asks us to go to. But oftentimes what we do instead is we negotiate, we hem, we ha, we hesitate. Look at Isaiah 6 when God said, who will I send? And Isaiah said, moving. Send me, and God says, okay, go. He says, go. Some of us answer God with moving, and we do like Peter. We get out of the boat, and we move out. But most of us start looking around the challenges instead. Instead of focusing on what we've been called to do. God says move, and we should be moving. But we worry too much about what's going to happen. We worry about other people. What are they doing? We worry about, do I have the skills? I will tell you, if God said go, you have the things needed to go. Because the moment you hesitate in moving out on what God has asked you to do is the moment you will lose out on a blessing and you'll lose out on blessing somebody else. Don't worry, God will take care of the other person that he asked you to take care of. They're going to get taken care of because he needed, but he wanted to use you to do it. That ministry within the church is going to get taken care of, but he told you to go do it, you lose out. It may be something menial like pulling weeds that he asks you to go do. It's a ministry because in the moment of pulling weeds, you can pray over the church, over people, over the building. He asks you to go to children's ministry. What an opportunity to put into people's lives, little children's lives, to raise them up in the admiration of the Lord. Oh, but those things are below me. I need something more spiritual. So God says, okay, you want something greater? Here's something greater. Go to the mission field. Ooh, to that place? I can't do that. Missionaries, I think it's the 50s, called to a, to a tribe. It's cannibals. They lost their lives going to mission, be a missionary to them. And the spouse, the wife, a year later, goes back to the same tribe and ministers to them. There's some struggle. But she was willing to move out to God. It could be something as simple as God, you're driving home from work and God says, stop at this store and get a gallon of milk. And you're like, we don't need a gallon of milk. He says, I didn't say you needed it. I said, go and do. So you stop and get the gallon of milk and you start driving again. And God says, stop at this house, give them that milk. And you find out that it's a mother with young children who had had their last meal and they had nothing more. We've got to be in tune and when we say, God, I want to be engaged, involved in your work and ministry, be willing to do it. Be willing to be engaged and move out and listening to him 
and in action doing it and not be so concerned of what others are doing or what not doing or whether there's time for it or not, you do it. God will take care of everything else. So Peter's out the boat. He took a risk and he got out of the boat. And he's walking out on the water. And suddenly he begins to look at the things around him. He begins focusing on the circumstances. Wait, there's waves, there's wind, there's lightning, there's storms, there's whatever the case is. And he becomes so focused on that, he loses sight of the goal and the place he's supposed to be at. How many of we, as we're walking through with Christ, have done the same thing and we begin to sink? Verse 30 says, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. If we look at this and consider this, Peter had to be too far from the boat to be able to help himself. Because I think otherwise he would have tried to get, help himself get back on the boat. Holler at his buddies to get him out of the water. I mean, that's just a natural response and instinct. I think he knew how to swim. He was a fisherman. I mean, there must have been a time or two he got capsized and had to go swim, get himself out of the water. So he had the skills to be able to do it. But Peter immediately realized where his help comes from. He immediately realized, hey, I lost my focus. I need to be helped here. These waves are too much. I can't handle this. And he immediately cries out to Christ and says, help me. The problem is for us is we tend to spend our time being overwhelmed by our problems. We spend so much time and energy worrying about them, thrashing about trying to attempt to save ourselves instead of turning to God who is supposed to be leading our lives, getting our blinders back on and, and focused on him and call out to him. But we're too busy being me do it. And we get overwhelmed and we almost drowned in our own circumstances. And what we need to do is simply cry out to God. He's the one that called you out. He's the one that said, come get out of the boat, and you followed him and got out of the boat. Don't you think he's the one that we should focus on and get back on our feet? Get back on the things that we were doing instead of trying to fix it ourselves? If he called you out and you're following after him, get your focus back up on Christ. And what happened? Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I'm going to do a shameless plug for men's Bible study Tuesday morning. If you're not doing anything at 06 in the morning, come on out to the church. I'll cook you breakfast and we'll do Bible study. Currently, we're doing Genesis. But I told the men who are attending that, I said, the Bible is written intentionally. God made sure it was written intentionally for our learning and instruction. There, there's a reason it was written the way it was written. And such it is with this verse. There's a purpose of why this is put. He said, why you have so little faith? Why did you doubt me? It isn't why did you doubt yourself? You hear that? It wasn't why did you doubt yourself? I knew you could do it. Why did you doubt yourself? No, why did you doubt me? Why did you think that I could not keep you going? that I could not keep you walking on the water? Why did you look at your circumstances and be dis begin to sink? Why did you doubt me? When, you, when we are doing what God asks of us, we begin to look at the circumstances around us. We begin to doubt what God has asked us to do. We begin to doubt that we have the skills and abilities that God has given us. The ministry, the, the service he's asked you to do is not about your own ability. It's about you putting faith in Jesus to give you the ability to do what needs to happen. Any of us who are on the pastoral staff, 
We don't have necessarily the abilities to do what we do, but through Jesus Christ, he's given us the ability to be the leaders that we are. He's given you the abilities to be the leaders that you are, to be engaged in the ministry that he's asked you to be engaged in. When you start focusing on circumstances, you're doubting Jesus. Oftentimes, that gets a little close to home, so to avoid looking at ourselves, oftentimes the way that we read this passage is we focus upon Peter and his little bit of faith. And often this passage is preached about having greater faith. I don't think Jesus intended to beat up Peter about his faith. That's not the point that he's making here. He's wanting to encourage him. He wants to take and, and strengthen his ability to focus in, upon God and to have that faith that God's going to walk him through whatever life it brings him because he's about to take, and when Jesus departs and he's one of the apostles starting the church, going to face a whole lot worse than sinking on water. And he wants to encourage him with his faith. But we kind of jump on the, on the beat up Peter bandwagon, don't we? Yeah, Peter, what's wrong with you? We can look back and be able to tell that and know 20, hindsight 2020 and say, look, Peter, we know that you could have done this. I imagine possibly some of his buddies in the boat were going, yeah, Peter, you're such an idiot. You're going good and you gave up. This is not about beating up Peter. I want to pause a moment and take a different look at this for a second, all right? Maybe a slightly different angle of Peter being a failure gives a different perspective. Instead of beating him up, let's look at who's still on the boat. Peter was one of 12 on that boat, right? But he was the only one that got out of the boat. He had enough faith and confidence to at least get out of the boat. Some of you are like the other disciples, still sitting in the boat. He was at least attempting to do what God had asked him to do. Sometimes we make fun and point at people who have failed or just aren't quite hitting the right notes. Well, I could do that better. Are you the one outside the boat? No, usually we're safely in the boat being able to be armchair quarterbacks. Saying, I could do that better. How silly of them. They took a risk. They're failing. Well, come alongside them and help them not fail. But at least they stepped out and followed God. How many of you are willing to step out of the boat and follow God and do what he's asked you to do? It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. Better to step out and follow what God's asked you to do than be one of the ones huddled in the boat in a safe place. He failed attempting to do what God had asked him to do, come out of the boat. So who had the greater faith? Peter who's willing to risk it and get out of the boat or those playing it safe? Peter may have gotten distracted by circumstances and by the situation, but he's still outside the boat. He's still willing to follow what Christ asked him to do. He took the risk to be where Jesus was. Are you willing to take that risk? You know, a lot of people in life fail in the process of having success. I think of Abraham Lincoln who failed in business. He failed in various campaigns yet he became president because he was willing to take a risk. What greater risk is there when you follow Christ, though? There really, there is no risk in it because when you're following Christ, he takes all the risk. You say, what if, wait, what if I lose my life? No risk in it. You get out of this crazy world and you get to be in heaven. Sounds like a win-win to me. Well, it might cost me everything. Isn't it all God's anyway? 
Job lost everything and God restored it several times above that because he was willing to follow after God. I look at Matthew 25 with the, with the three guys who were given talents when, they, when their master left. Two of them were willing to take risk and invested. The third one hid it. Are you the two taking the risk or are you hiding it? We know what happened to the third guy. He got himself in trouble because he wasn't willing to take risk and follow what, God, what the master had asked him to do. When we take risks and follow after God, there is always great blessings on it and great rewards. Some you may never see. Some you may find out later in life. I took a risk and followed after God and served in the army for 38 years. Three combateurs, one of them pretty crazy combateur, had bullets and rockets flying around me within feet of me. But I took a risk to be where men and women were in danger that they might know that there's a God that loves them. And I saw some rewards there, but I'm seeing the, the manifestation of that and other people coming alongside them where I'm seeing those now, some are going into ministry, some are being saved 20 years later. But the risk being in combat by being in the army was greater to take and follow after God than being safe and not following after him. Why don't you take a look at something? It sits between verse 31 and 32. See if you can see it in between verse 31 and 32. God does something there. There's something that happens between verse 31 and 32. You know what it is? Absolutely nothing except Peter pulled out of the water. What do I mean by that? The circumstances didn't change. Jesus didn't calm the waters. He didn't take and make it peaceful. He pulled Peter out. And the wind and the storm continued. Sometimes God's not going to change our circumstances. When we're following after him, we're doing what he wants us to do. And we start having some challenges in life. The storms and wind come of life. Sometimes he doesn't change that. He just comes alongside us Amen. and walks with us until we're back safely in the boat. Verse 32 says, when they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. You ever notice that? Sometimes we get the idea that the winds and everything got a little bit calmer when Jesus pulled Peter out of the water. Circumstances didn't change. Sometimes we're praying, God, change the circumstances. And he's saying, I'm not going to change the circumstances. I'm going to walk through with this through you. I'm going to take and walk alongside you. We're going to get to where we need to be. It's going to be a little rough. It's going to be a little tumble, but I want you to learn to have confidence and faith that I will get you through these circumstances. I want you to learn these circumstances. I want you to be able to Take and understand them. I want you to be able to utilize them for ministry. Life's a mess. Following Jesus can be a mess. It can be rough. It can be hard. Scripture says that following after Christ is a narrow way and few find it. Because it's a little bit tough. Satan doesn't want us going down that path, especially if we're following him into some kind of ministry. And ministry doesn't necessarily have to be vocational like I'm doing. It is reaching your neighbors, your workers. It is being engaged in various aspects here at the church. Life can be a mess when he asks you to go do things. It is not always rainbows and sunshine and roses. It's a mess. Being engaged in the direction God has asked you is not always easy, but the rewards for following him is great. I've been in the ministry since 91, officially. I've had some ups and downs in this life. 
sometimes caused by others, sometimes caused by people who should be spiritual leaders. 19 years in the army, I faced one of my greatest challenges, which prepared me for another challenge that was even greater. I'd been in the army for 19 years from an E1 up to a mid-grade captain at that point. And it wasn't until then I got my first two negative counseling statements and those in the military understand those things. For those who have never been in the military, a negative counseling statement leads to other consequences of punishment. But I had somebody who was in spiritual lead say some false allegations to my command which led me to get in trouble by them for something I didn't do. And I had to address that. And they realized they were wrong in what they had said. But it caused me to take and have to focus on God because through that, my commander says, you have a choice. You can stay here. And if I don't see something turn around, and I don't know what he wanted to see, but if I didn't see something turn around, in 90 days, I'd give you a relief for cause evaluation. That's a bad mark for me to ever get promoted. He says, otherwise, I can take and send you to another unit. They call it a rehabilitative transfer. Well, I will tell you, there's no such thing as a rehabilitative transfer in the Army. Because commanders talk to commanders, and that commander is going to want to know why is this commander, right before we go to combat, sending somebody he would need. So I chose to stay. My commander said it was a man answer. It was an easy answer. 30 days, in 90 days, I would be in combat. I'm always a better chaplain in the field than I ever was in garrison. I stayed with the unit the rest of the time. Several years later, I'm at another unit, and I have a soldier who chooses to accuse me of having an inappropriate relationship with another soldier. Was removed from my unit for six weeks, I was under investigation. The investigator kept going back to the command saying, there's nothing here. The commander says, there's got to be, go find it. Went back to him two other times before the commander finally accepted it. Six weeks, I had nothing but relying upon God. I had no support from a command, no support from the chaplain side of the house. I had the only support from my wife, and had I really done it, she drove the bus over me and backed it up a number of times. They wouldn't have even had to worry about it. I would have been done. What was fun is I get back in my unit after that six weeks, and I only had God to depend upon where I could have lost not only that career, but this career after the military if they chose to believe her over me. I was put back in the unit. Everything was, was unfounded. And the person who accused me asked to see me because they needed spiritual guidance. Yeah, go do ministry under that circumstance. Winds and wave, Right? He didn't change the circumstances, but he helped me walk through that and minister to that young lady who was hurting for some reason and decided to strike out against me. I don't know where that young lady is today, but I, I think because of my actions and God working through me, she's in a better place than she would have been Amen. had I been angry and bitter about it. There's ups and downs in life. There are circumstances, there's challenges, and sometimes God's going to walk us through those instead of putting us, instead of making it calm and smooth. He's going to take and help us learn the lessons so that we can do ministry better, so we can touch lives in a better way. The bottom line is we must be willing to get out of the boat. There are a lot of ministries around here that need your help from ushers to greeters to security to children's ministry, youth ministry, you name it, we need it. If you don't know who to ask, come see me. I will point you in the direction of the person you need to talk to. Talk to the ministry directors, Shelby, Brandon, Pastor Emily, Pastor Josh. Ask them, God said I need to go, I want to get out of the boat. 
And he said, I'm supposed to come see you. Help me get out of the boat. It's going to be engaged in ministry. We are a faith that is an active faith, not a passive faith. It cries for action. And that means you have to get out of the safety of the boat. But I will tell you, being on the water is a lot safer when you're following after Christ than that boat ever will be. Get out of the comfort zone. Let him stretch you. Because he's not going to ask you to do anything that you're not capable of doing. Whether you feel you have the capabilities or not. I used to say I was never called to youth pastor. And then God sent me to the biggest youth ministry in the world called the U.S. Army. Get out of the boat. Figure out where God wants you to go. Get out of the boat. When he says get out, don't say, what? I can't hear you. It's too much waves. Get out of the boat. Do like Peter. Shrug it off and get out of the boat. Get engaged in the place God wants you to be engaged in. Understand that when you get out of the boat, the circumstances are not necessarily going to change. When Peter got out of the boat, the circumstances didn't change. When he sank, the circumstances didn't change. What changed is his attitude, and he forgot focused back on God, and he was raised up. Stay focused upon Christ, and what he's asked you to do will be successful. Amen. It may not seem like it at first, but it will be successful because God's word doesn't come back void. And then realize that he's going to walk us through the storm. Till he's ready to calm the waters. Till we're safely in that boat. Whatever the case might be, he'll calm it when they're ready to be calmed. But we can have that sense of peace while out on that stormy waters, walking after him. Today's message is a call to action. What is your call to action? What has God been speaking in your life and you've been ignoring? Maybe you got the skills for dirty diapers. Praise God he hasn't given me that skill. I can feed kids all day long. What's your call to action? Maybe it's mowing a lawn. Maybe it's teaching kids about Jesus. Because as the body grows, we're going to need people to do ministry. Gets a little messy sometimes. Don't be afraid of the risk because God's got it all covered as long as you're following after Him. It's a call to action. Where is He calling you to act? It could be spiritual, it could be non-spiritual. It could be pulling weeds, painting, it could be anything. If you're not sure again, come see me. I can tell you where. It could be a call to action to do a Bible study at work. Or maybe a block party where at your in your neighborhood where you tell others about Christ. It's a call to action. God speaking into your life today. Heavenly Father, you didn't call us to sit on the bench, to huddle in a boat safely. You called us to be active for you, to go into all the world and make disciples, to touch lives, to see heart change, to come alongside and make relationships. The world might know who you are. Lord, I don't know what each one is called to action here. But you're quickening individuals' hearts today. For ministry within the church and ministry without the, outside the church. May they have the courage that Peter had to get out of the boat. 
and walk to where you are. If they stumble along the way and get wrapped up in circumstances, may they not take and just thrash about, but call out to you and you come alongside them. Say, I got you. Let's do this again. I've given you the abilities and skills. Let's go at it. Lord, I ask that each one here would be quickened in their heart today. Let them not take and keep putting on, putting in earplugs in, trying to muffle your, your voice, Heavenly Father, but let them take and hear you clearly and directly. And then as you tell them to go, say, moving. When you tell them to go, whether it be a mission field or pulling weeds, Heavenly Father, cleaning toilets or whatever in between, Heavenly Father, their simple answer is moving. And they move out and do what you've asked them to do. Lord, we give you glory and we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. As pastor likes to say, by noon tomorrow, God's going to tell you to get out of the boat. Tell him moving and move out in the direction he tells you to go. Have a great week. See you on Wednesday. Lord bless you. Lord keep you.